Still no decision made yet, but it looks like one official is having fruit snacks while we decide this. Hey everybody, welcome back to D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. What a weekend for D3 track and field. That was a ton of fun and hope you enjoyed watching the broadcast. We saw a lot of great performances and gets us excited for what's to come at the outdoor season. Today's episode will be a recap of sorts. Noah and I give our perspective from the broadcast booth and we also have on the three champion coaches from Wisconsin Eau Claire, Wash U, and Loris. Chip Snyder of Wisconsin Eau Claire, Jeff Stiles of Wash U, and Matt Jones of Loris. They each give their own perspective from the weekend. And if you want to listen to a specific coach, check the timestamps in the show notes to find out where your coach is speaking. But if you have the time, I highly recommend listening to all three as they provide great perspective. If you enjoy what we're doing and want to follow along with more, Follow us at D3GloryDays on Twitter and Instagram. If you've been enjoying what we've been doing and also liked the broadcast and want to help support us, feel free to leave a tip if you're able to on Venmo. Or if you want to be a monthly subscriber, check out our Patreon. All these links are in the show notes and the website. We're bringing you D3 track and field coverage from the past and present, and we will continue to do so as we head to the outdoor season. Thanks so much for staying with us, and as always, here's to the glory days. All right, welcome back to day three of the 2022 Indoor D3 Track and Field Championships. We're here at the JDL Fast Track. Just kidding, we're not. It's Noah and I, we're back. Nailed it, Stu. (laughs) Nailed it. Practiced that beforehand, nailed it on the intro. But here is the after show, almost a week later, brought to you by myself and Noah. If you're out there and you want to sponsor the podcast, we're open to conversations. But we thought we'd give a recap of our point of view. We have some coaches here at the end of the episode as well to get their perspective on the two-day meet. But from our perspective, I had a blast. I don't know about you, Noah, but that was a, a really good time. Yeah, I thought so too. I did think we definitely learned a lot and maybe we can use this first part of the episode to just kind of take people behind the scenes of what it was like and what goes into announcing a national meet. And then, you know, before we uh, bring on the coaches here, we can kind of give our personal highlights of the meet. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. Kind of a, a recap of our experience, the meet and just everything in between before we hear hear from them. But yeah, from, I guess from a research perspective, I think we got a lot of compliments that we knew the runners and uh, a big shout out to our D3 Glory Days team. As soon as the entries were announced, we immediately compiled them into a spreadsheet and tried to get at least one quick fact about each runner on their history. So that way, when we knew when they were up in the race, we knew who they were, at least from a T-first perspective, knew what they had coming into the race. And I think that just helped drive conversation, especially for those distance athletes who we were familiar with. And then we had information on sprinters and jumpers and throwers. So that way we were able to talk about them as well. But yeah, I think from a broadcasting perspective, I didn't really, 
I thought we'd have a little bit more in our ear from the producers. And so oftentimes it'd be like a tap on the shoulder when we would be told what was next, but I felt we, we were able to go with the flow pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I think let's like paint a picture of like the setup, right? So we're on this kind of raised platform overlooking the top turn of the track and we're next to each other with our computers and notes ahead of us. And if we stand, we can see like the home stretch of the track, but not a whole lot else. And so there's a monitor directly in front of us with the same feed that everyone is seeing at home. And then we're in each other's ears. The producers are kind of on either side of us, but to a large extent, we're really just kind of in our own little world because these are like noise, noise canceling headphones. And so we don't really know what's going on around us unless somebody like taps us on the shoulder. Yeah, I think it's oftentimes like during the distance races when it wasn't the last few laps, you know, we did the Troy Aikman, Joe Buck looking at each other, talking about the race. But then when things got excited, we were both eyes on the race. And that's sometimes like you and I, mostly me would talk over you was probably the only time because we were just both so fixated on, on the race, but it was super exciting. You forget how exciting it is to be at a track. I mean, I mean, I haven't been at one, I guess, since I announced the DePaul meet but before then it was the tough slash chance meet in, in 2020. And it's just exciting to see how excited the fans were, the student athletes were fired up and we had a really good meet for the most part. Yeah. This is the first time I've watched a full track meet and so long and you know like another thing to give people kind of a visual of this like we are there from the very beginning of day one through the end of day one which is like eight or nine hours and we're announcing the whole time because we're not just announcing finals we're announcing every prelim every heat and then day two obviously is all the finals and so you really like are so tuned into kind of the minutia of a track meet in a way that I don't think you are as a fan necessarily because you see everybody in the prelims and not only do you see it, you're calling it. So you're like very tuned in to the races and then it sets you up really well for the finals because you like know everybody's story. And like, obviously we had the notes, but on the second day, it's like, well, you can just kind of call based on how people looked the day before what happened in the prelim and how they got there. And so it made for like super long days, but you're so tuned in that the time just kind of went by. And then you just take your headphones off at the end of the day and kind of come out of this like vortex. Yeah. And our voices were just completely shot after day one, given the excitement and all the prelims within the 5k and DMRs to end the night off. And yeah, I think, I don't think they gave us a break during day two. I know in day one, we had one longer break to run to the bathroom but day two, because it was supposed to be a shorter meet, that we didn't get a set like five minute break. All right, go to the bathroom quick, come back. And then the protest gate happened. And that was right before, you know, right before you left. Yeah. We'll or after to, you left, I should say. We'll get the protest gate in a minute. Maybe, maybe kind of at the end here. Yeah. Oh, I, I was watching the uh, division one meet like replay and I was like man these announcers have it so easy they're cutting to commercial break every three minutes like this is like a package broadcast that happened over like an hour and a half and you and I were on a live stream and if you don't want there to be a break in a live stream there is no break in the live stream and so yeah I don't think I've ever talked for that long before in my life and the bathroom breaks especially before we knew that there was a bathroom right next to us we like 
the first day when we were alternated during the like 60 prelims or whatever, one of us would be left alone and there's no more lonely feeling than announcing a track meet by yourself while the other one would be sprinting across the facility to, to use the bathroom and not miss too much. And it was, I mean, we would use the behind the stands where the ceremonies were. And so if there was a, like a, a, a I guess a, an award ceremony, but there wasn't many yet going on, but people like were warming up back there and, it got pretty crowded during the prelim. Like you're like dodging in and out of people and, and making sure you're getting back and you got to run up the stairs. Like I had to take a quick second when I was out of breath after that 60 meter dash myself, plus a jog up the stairs. And somehow it was always the shot putters down like by the award stand. Like <laughs> yeah. No matter when you go down there, there's these giant people, you know, and you're just like trying to squeeze your way. Oops, through excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. But yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, you know, obviously I think, for the most part, I thought we brought some good energy to the broadcast. I thought, um, you know, we brought some good knowledge to the broadcast and um, hopefully just put some energy in there that D3 Nationals hadn't seen in the broadcast in a while. And I mean, obviously we made some mistakes and if people want to write us or send us a message with any kind of feedback, I know we'd be happy to see that. Yeah, especially listening back, I'd like kick myself when I would talk over you, but not seeing your lips move uh, made things a little difficult and excitement definitely carried us through. But yeah, some of those calls, it's weird to see the videos coming back on social media because like, you know, you'll listen to the D1 guys and it's like, oh, wait, those are our voices now. So it's weird to be kind of with it now for however long the Internet exists for, which is kind of cool and kind of scary at the same time. But I think it's a good learning experience. You know, I think that's one thing, reasons why we wanted to start D3 Glories in the first place is just bring a little bit more excitement to the division and never really envisioned we get this opportunity to do so, especially so short into our existence as a podcast. And, you know, I hope people at home enjoyed it, got a little kick out of it. And I know from watching outdoors, hopefully there was a little bit less silence than the outdoor meet. We brought a little bit more uh, information to you all. Yeah, I mean, all we can do is like add to these moments, right? Like we shouldn't be the story, obviously, like we're not on the track. And so we don't want to be one. We don't. The main thing is we don't want to be a detraction from the excitement on the track. We want to like enhance these moments and make sure the athletes like get the moments they deserve from all the hard work they've put in. And so if our announcing could in any way like elevate those performances, I think that's the goal. Um which we tried to do and hopefully we'll get another chance to do. So before we get into our personal highlights, I don't want to end our segment on like maybe kind of a negative. So let's talk about, let's talk about protest gate and I'll, yeah. I, I'll set, I'll set you up because you're the one who endured it. So, so basically my flight was booked so that I could call the end of the meet and then leave from the track to get home. And so the meet, the meet like the four by fours go by, but it becomes pretty clear that there's not going to be a clear resolution to this track meet immediately. And so I basically have to grab my stuff, call an Uber. And when I leave and hop in the cab, I think it's probably just a matter of minutes until you get a clear decision and are able to sign off. But you ended up staying on the air on this web stream for an additional two hours after the last event was ran. Yeah, I think right when you left, 
that was saying, don't announce the men's team scores. There's a something happening in the three K that we need to they, figure out first. They handed us a note. They handed us a note. Yeah. yeah. They handed us a note saying don't announce team scores yet. We're figuring out the three K, but then right when you left, I think they figured out the three K and then Rowan got DQ'd, which at that point, then Washu was declared the winner. And then and we're talking about the men's, the men's, yeah, the, the men's, excuse me. Yeah. And then at this point, like we're starting to like announce, uh, award ceremonies for some women's events and some men's events from earlier in the day but then you you keep checking the four by four and there's no result yet and then wash you gets dq'd and so i watch both coaches come up here and kind of plead their case as to why and i think then you have to protest the protest to get rid of or to try to overturn it and they this group of officials and the games committee they were all huddled around the replay booth and at this point you know i'm just trying to keep everyone updated on what's going on there's still some events going on and then we do the trophy ceremony for the women and there's still nothing resolved from the men and that's when uh the clip that we played at the beginning of the episode happened where I was sort of running out of things to talk about and noticed one of the, the officials was eating a fruit snack. And I just thought that was hilarious that a man well into his maybe seventies, eighties, doesn't matter, but just enjoying a fruit snack while the fate of five different programs and two four by fours are in his hands. And he is just enjoying a snack. And uh, yeah, shout out to the Wash U fans. I had a few DMs once I was finished saying that they'll buy me a dinner or buy me postmates or whatever doordash since i we didn't eat and i was still going on but yeah the production crew i was trying to hint at like maybe i could use a break but they wanted to keep things rolling we were able to catch some reactions instant reactions when washu initially learned that they were uh handed out their 50 dollars back and from talking with jordan carpenter and from coaching if you win your protest you get your 50 dollars back and i actually the camera had the angle on the $50 and I saw it and then it all just erupted and they had a great shot of wash you. And then all of a sudden people started cheering and the camera crew still on. I mean, they're, they're two hours into this as well and still paying attention to it all. They got a great reaction of Eau Claire celebrating Rowan celebrating. So they, they were able to capture all of it, but yeah, was not expecting an addition. So the, the going off at five fifteen for the four by fours, the trophies for the men top four ran out at seven ten, so yeah. ninety minutes basically from the last four by four to the the trophies that we had to talk about. I maybe should have done like a meet recap, and I guess we can do that here now. But it was one of those things where like you thought it would be resolved like that minute, and so you didn't want to be probably didn't want to be off air, and then it happened for oh, quite a while, and then I had to do some meet recaps, but. You know how skilled we are. One take wonder on both uh, men and women recaps. I got out of there quickly and we enjoyed a Reuben from, or no, a Cuban from a brewery down the street from our hotel. Nice. Yeah, I was, you know, thinking about it and I'm really glad that, I'm glad that you guys stayed on and like got to, you know, give these athletes kind of like the moment they deserve to some extent, you know, because it did happen. And so far after the meet that like, if you would have most broadcast, like a live broadcast would have actually, you know, cut and just missed it. And it would have ended without anybody knowing who won the national championship, but it is a bummer 
that the protest period delayed things so long that these athletes, one, had to endure that period of of not knowing and stress of being disqualified and put back in and whatever. And then that they didn't really get to celebrate like in the heat of the moment after the four by four, like, I don't know. I don't know if there's any like way to like resolve that necessarily, but I was kind of bummed for the athletes that they had to go through all that and then celebrate in like an empty track. Yeah. Cause at that point, the fans left and really yeah. the only teams that were still around were the ones who were going to collect their top four trophy. And then the men's four by four, who was getting their all American awards. But yeah, you'll hear uh, Matt Jones speak from Loris kind of about that moment that not only do they want to get out, the, uh, they had some reservations to go get dinner as well. Um, I think a lot of people are getting hungry at that point, but yeah, at the end though, I'm really happy that everyone got reinstated. You know, from my perspective, I was only able to see the Rowan DQ once and that was over a few shoulders. The production company did get a review of the wash U. DQ. And so there wasn't a lot, like it honestly looked like normal racing, you know? And so, but when you're at the national meet and it can, and it can determine if you get a trophy or not, I think you kind of have to take a chance at it. So, you know, from what the rules stay, say, and what happened, I'm glad that everything was put back in order. They got to celebrate as is and kind of enjoy that moment together and not feel like you won because of a DQ kind of similar to what happened last outdoor season with the women. Yeah, for sure. So it's cool that we ended up in the place that we were always supposed to end up. It was just kind of like, yeah, kind of a bummer that it got drugged so far out. But anyway, that's enough about bummers. Let's let's end things on a high note before we invite coaches on. And maybe we can each give just like a couple personal like as fan highlights from the meet. And I'm going to go first because I don't want you to. (laughs) I don't want you to That's fair. take mine and I want to force you to be more creative if uh, if we have some of the same ones. So my, I think the, the thing that I enjoyed watching the most was the duel in the women's distance events between Cassie Parker and Ari Marks in both the 5K and the 3K. Those are both events that could have, you know, been blowouts on paper with Cassie just going crazy from the front and nobody being courageous enough to challenge her. But I thought Ari in both races, you could tell that she really believed she could win. And she definitely made Parker work for those moments. And, you know, the drama built pretty late in the race where you just, you weren't sure what was going to happen because all it took is one, you know, one misstep by Parker and Marks could have, could have gotten it. And so it was cool to see those two women who were clearly, you know, the cream of the crop in the field really have a serious battle. And I thought that was the really cool thing to watch. Yeah. One of mine was goes out to JP Vaught. Uh, yeah, that was my other one. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To be DQ'd at the national meet after he wasn't even a top eight guy from the seed time. And he ran six, seven, eight, which was a PR. Obviously he's reigning hundred meter champion, but to not be a top eight guy, qualify for the final, get DQ'd and then go run 2137 on a flat track is nuts. Championship record, national champion. I mean, he was super fired up. And I just think that shows the grit and the determination that he had at this meet that no matter what 
happened, he was going to come away with the title and he did. And I think it just shows how good he is, how mentally strong he is. And he didn't let that moment get to him. Cause I think a lot of athletes at this stage and even the pro level, you know, if you DQs are hunting because then it throws off your timing, you, you think about everything that you're doing in the blocks and you're gonna be a little bit more reactive to, you know, either sound or just anything. You don't want to be too early. You don't want to be too late. And so at that point you get stuck in the blocks and to make up ground, but yeah, that was awesome. 20, I just 21 37 on a flat track. Someone tweeted out that they saw someone run 21 30 something on an outdoor track to take second. And he, you know, so just kind of perspective, he's run 20.88, I think outdoors. So there's still room in the tank, but for him to be run that quick on that track was, was cool. Yeah. I, that, like I mentioned a minute ago, that was my, that was going to be my second moment. And because like, I tried to put myself in his shoes, like after that TQ happened and it just required some serious fortitude to get back on the track, to continue to trust your instincts and then to like execute the way he did. I think there's a lot of valuable lessons there for like other athletes listening to this podcast to uh, to take away. And maybe that'd be cool to bring him on again and like just kind of talk through that moment um, at some point. I think that'd be interesting. If, if I'm going to give a second thing that I really enjoyed watching, it was the the men's four by four, specifically the third leg for Rowan, which was Jameer Beasley. And just like on the second leg, they were, you know, kind of dangling off the back to, to some extent. I mean, they were still in it, but like they were not, they hadn't made a statement yet. And Beasley just ran an amazing third leg. I mean, he made up so much ground, handed off in the lead. It was really just an incredible shift. Um, I don't have the splits, but I do. I, that made such a huge impression on me in the booth. 48-3. Yeah. And yeah, and the wash you went 48 one. So those were the fastest two splits. And he made up, he made up two spaces, two spots, handoff from third to first. Which like to run that fast, especially considering that he made two passes on an indoor track, which, you know, obviously the indoor track is pretty hard to execute passes because you're going wide and cutting in and out. And at those speeds around the turns, that's like, a tough thing to do. We saw a lot of athletes on the track this weekend just have trouble getting by people on on flat tracks. And so, yeah, to make up two places running that fast. And then I think if people have a minute, they should go check out the post race interview you did with them because they all just seem like really good guys, and um, you could tell what it meant to them as a unit to uh, to execute that race. So, but his leg specifically was a really bright spot for me. Yeah, one for me happened on day one and it's in our photo essay on the website that emily richards put together with uh, it was maddie Barr's photo actually we t- we talked about it uh on the broadcast itself but marcus in dallas right of warper giving just the biggest hugs to their dmr team for context aubrey fisher did have an individual qualifier in the mile and she opted to not run the mile so that way she would be fresh for that dmr and just the camaraderie of a program i mean it's the obviously it's it's track but the first person that greets them is the head track coach not the cross-country coach and their sprinter who had a a heck of a day ahead of them the next day and they're at the track and the first one's greeting them after they they won i just think that shows just 
how strong a program is, how committed they are to each other, no matter what event, no matter what distance you're doing, that they're in it together for the weekend, and especially seeing the men's team come to the women's team and aid in their support was was cool to see because I think you always want to make sure you're bridging the gap between men's and women's programs and especially between sprints and distance. And so to see Dallas there as well was was cool. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I hadn't been to a track meet and not a division three track meet since I was running division three, I think. And so it was really cool to see all of these characters that had only existed in our podcasts, like for me to like see them on the track in person. And um, yeah, it was really cool to just be on the ground, like in that community. And uh, I think we, we mentioned on the broadcast several times about, you know, the indoor meet being canceled um, when COVID was first coming on. And so I definitely like thought it was special to have everybody in that same facility and to have such an exciting meet. And then for us to be able to, to call it. Yeah. It just was a really cool couple of days. Yeah. So those are my three moments. And I think if I'll do one more, if you, if you allow me, no, do you have one more? I will let me, I'm, I'm get. I have the judges in my ear. And uh, yes, we will allow you one more. Wow. One more. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just think the class that both programs showed after getting DQ'd and coming back and waiting and then seeing the coaches and how they reacted to their programs, it was nice to be able to see in person, but also on camera, you know, once Styles realized it, like he brought his team up and I think like he, he talked to them, he mentioned this and you'll hear more about it later on, but then the WashU and the Eau Claire teams kind of collided and, and greeted each other and said, congrats. And so after all of that, all these DQs, everyone was, everyone who was still there was congratulating each other on being reinstated on winning. So it was just nice to see at the end of all of this, there is still camaraderie among your competitors and class and respect towards one another. And I think it, I think it shows a lot to what D3 track and field is all about is that you wait two hours and you're still happy for your competitor and, and what they did. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say seeing coaches tearing up and crying like happy tears, like, Oh, that like strikes pretty deep. Well, you'll now be able to listen to the head coaches of every winning program. So Jeff Stiles, Chip Schneider from WashU and Eau Claire for the men's title and Matt Jones from Loris, roughly 20 to 30 minutes each. So this might be a longer podcast. So if you want a specific person to listen to, you should listen to all of them. But if you're looking for someone in particular, check the show notes. We do have it time stamped for you there. So that way you can jump around with ease. But honestly, if you do have the time, I would listen to all three. All three bring great perspective from their programs what their philosophies are. And you can just tell why these teams are good is because they have very strong leaders. They have very good coaching staffs and they're able to amplify their student athletes to the next level. So I really hope you all enjoy this. We're now joined by head coach from Wisconsin Eau Claire after a long waiting period, finally awarded co-champions, with WashU. Coach, how are you doing after that long time of waiting to figure out what place you guys are going to be? Well, let's put it this way. I slept really well Sunday night, um, probably longer than I've slept in a while. It was pretty tenuous hour, hour and 20 minutes or whatever it took, but um, we got through it. And I think in the end, it was a good result. 
Yeah, from the the gun time of the four by four, the first heat was five fifteen. Awards were at seven ten, so almost <laughs> two hours of within there with racing. You know, from your perspective, I was in the booth trying to keep the audience informed. What information were you getting? You know, from your end, from the officials, from the games committee, were you had any idea what was going on? Here and there. I mean, to be honest. You probably knew more than I did a little bit. You, you're getting some information. I'm, I was trying to hang out by, by the protest area just to see when they would post the protest forms to see what the actual you know, rulings were on some things. Every now and then up on the board, they would show you know, the times again, and then there'd be a DQ by somebody's name. Sometimes that's how we found out about things. So it was hit or miss in different areas. Um, you never knew for sure. And, what was right and what was wrong for a while. Um, I just figured I'd find out in the end, somebody would tell me what was going on. And then it, towards the end, you know, waiting for some protest forms to be posted and you hear Wash U cheering. So I'm like, oh, they know something I don't know. And then you hear Rowan cheering. I'm like, okay, they know something I don't know. And then the word gets back to you. And I think that was more like people saw them return the money for the protest because if you protest you pay your money and if you win it they return the money so i think they return the money before they actually put the protest forms back on the protest board so that's how people knew a little earlier than the protest forms. so it was all over the place <laughs> yeah yeah from up above i could kind of see you know everyone kind of speaking to each other i did see the money in hand and it didn't click until i realized oh that indicates they win and I'm sure your, your team was coming up to you, your assistant coaches were coming up to you asking, you know, what's going on. What were you telling them kind of stay calm depending because there was a lot of different scenarios in which you would be outright champs, you would tie, you could even be second at worst, which is not that bad. But what are you telling your guys like during this long waiting period? Uh, to be patient uh, that in the end we'll know. And there's not, it was a little bit out of our hands at that point. And you know, I talked to assistant coaches and they're like, are you protesting anything yourself? And I'm like, I'm not protesting anything myself right now. So like, it wasn't in my hands to like deliberate some things because we weren't one of the teams that was in, thought they were impeded. So, you know, then it just becomes a waiting game and you, I'm trying to stay calm and hoping that my team follows my example and just kind of waits it out. You know, it, it's obviously for me, it's a little bit easier than my athletes. So, you know, they're, 18 to 22 year olds, they're, they're used to having everything really quickly shown to them. Um, they hadn't been in this situation before. I really hadn't either, but, um, you know, I've won a couple of titles where for a lot of these kids, this is their first title and possibly their only chance to win. So, you know, they're a little more on edge than I am, you know? So, you know, I'm, I'm off to myself a little bit in that point. Cause I was trying to stay over by the protest area where the team was kind of more by where the finish line still was and watching the board just to see if any other new things came up as far as who was the cute or not. So I wasn't always right by them. I, you know, I was communicating with some of my coaches who were coming back and forth, but I didn't have a lot to be able to tell them either. Going into this meet, we calculated top eight entries and based on entries, you all weren't even in the top 10 given, given that scoring did you kind of have an idea based on these pieces that you were bringing to the meet? I know some of your multis maybe weren't in the scoring range and ended up being there, but were there any indications for you and your staff knowing this team could potentially pull out a trophy? I think we went into the weekend, at least I did, 
thinking that if we had a good meet, we would probably have a chance to be top four in trophy. That's kind of the expectation here is that you go to nationals with if you have that many people going, because we had a good number of men, you know, qualified for the meet. Um, that if we had a lot of chances to score points, um, whether we were, you know, seated to score points was a different story. Um, but we, we usually tend to show up well at a national meet. We kind of run our, run our season peak for nationals, not for a conference, um, which is a little different than some schools. I think a lot of schools really peak for their conference and hold on for nationals where we, we really gear towards the national meet. I knew we might have a chance to win if things went poorly for some teams um, and that we had a great meet. It was a weird national meet. Um, it, it didn't really fall into place even close to what, if you had made me you know, bet my paycheck on somebody, I don't know if I had to bet my paycheck on UW-Eau Claire. I hate to say that, but you know, if I had to put money on it, I don't think I could have like that. It, it was all over. Like, and there's a lot of teams you could talk to that could say, this is probably the worst case scenario of a meet for us going into nationals. And there was a few that had good meets. I didn't think 35 points would win a national title. Yeah. Looking it up before this, it's the third lowest all time in indoors. So, and two teams tied for that. Go figure. Right. Right. So yeah, you, you usually figure you got to be in the forties at least to have a chance to win. I thought, Going into day two, I was looking at him like, gosh, if we could get, if we could get to 36, 37 points, we might have a chance to be, you know, a top three. Um, but I still didn't think it was going to be to win. Yeah, looking at your point total, you all are co-champions for the national title, and you did not have an individual national champion. I think you mentioned this in the video with in your team when you got back to campus that with the titles that you've won, you've never not had an individual national champion. What does that say to your program that despite not an individual champion, you come away as a team champion? This was a first for me, for sure. And I, I bet if you look back at other teams that have won, it, it's just hard at nationals to, to rack enough, up enough points without having 10 points from an event, you know, as a, with an individual. So, you know, we thought we were going to have a champion. Um, Marcus Weaver was definitely on pace to probably break his own national record and give us 10 points on his own. And, you know, that was tough. And as soon as that happened, I really thought we were out of the running too. You know, I went into day two going, we're going to need the two events I really pointed at coming into nationals was pole vault and, and multi. Cause we had six chances probably to really score and seven guys. Um, so I knew we needed a lot. And when Marcus went down in the hurdles and got disqualified, then we're scratching, thinking everybody's got to do really well and hopefully get a trophy. So um, I think it speaks a lot to just that this was a true team effort. Um, a lot of times you go into nationals and you think teams have seen this. You can go into nationals with three or four people. They're great. You can win with them. I think Waddle and Jonathan basically had a teammate that scored one point and she scored the rest and they win a national. Yeah. So that happens. I, I can remember a few times that happened to teams where they just have a really good person. You know, I thought Williams had, you know, a distance program or, or, or it's just a group, you know, you know, Williams has some really good distance group right now. And I thought, you know, just within their distance, they got a chance, you know, so this was different. Like we really had points come from a lot of different places. Like we had a guy in the quarter mile that we, 
you know, we declared a week ago and he was 21st on the list. So we were hoping somebody doesn't declare that he's going to get in and then he gets in and we're like, okay, we think he's running well and he gets the eighth spot into the final. And then they add a guy. So now there's nine. We're like, oh gosh, he's going to make all American. Now he's got to beat another guy just to make all American. And then he ends up fourth. So, you know, there was, there was some big swings. We had three guys placed in the pole ball and we weren't supposed to place anybody in the pole ball. So, you know, yeah, we had some people definitely show up in some areas and it was a lot of different areas for us. Oftentimes at track meets, momentum can either go in the right direction or in the wrong direction. To bring up Marcus Weaver, you know, he starts the day off with a DQ in the hurdles. How did you not allow that to affect the rest of the team with momentum in the wrong direction? I think you see a team leader go down early and it's easy to kind of be like, uh-oh, this is going to be a bad day for us. I think a lot of that was how he responded. He didn't sit on the track and go hang around with teammates and make them like tell them they're sorry for him. He went right over to the pole vault, you know, started doing his warm-ups for the pole vault, didn't act like there was anything other than go to pole vault, you know? So uh, for me, the team knows, like they know we just lost some points. Um, we also know that, that's how a track meet goes. Like if you've been around long enough, I always say this, every track meet you go to, somebody's going to overperform. Most of the people are going to perform just like you think they are. And a few people are going to underperform. All right. So this was one of our underperformers, you know, in a horrible way, but that's track and field. So I don't think that, yeah, was it a surprise? Yeah. But everybody else knew they still had a job to do. It wasn't like it wasn't like we were relying totally on Marcus Weaver. If we were, Marcus Weaver would have been doing the multi, doing the high jump, and trying to hurdle. And he was only there to do the multi this weekend. So, you know, we didn't totally put all our eggs in one basket on that. You know, to start a meet off, to kind of rewind here, what's your message to your team on day one? And on the broadcast, we're saying you, that's day one's the first important day because you can't score points if you're not in the final. What's, is there a specific message that you give to your guys? Well, the night before we have a team meeting and my message to the team was kind of, you know, dream big, you know, like don't, don't show up to nationals to be at nationals. And I think there's, there's definitely some people there that that is their goal. But for me, it was leave the meet either in tears because you did so great that you couldn't help but cry or because you failed trying to do something great. All right. Don't, don't go in just to be okay. And to be at the meet. like that already happened. So that's kind of was my big message that, you know, that, that people feed off other people too, that, that, you know, that it builds momentum and it can build momentum either way. So not to let that happen, but yeah, you know, you got to move people on from day one to day two. We felt really, we felt really good after day one. Things went really well. I mean, the only thing that we kind of thought we had a chance, we had a miler that ran pretty well and was in the fast heat and went for it and, you know, just missed. I mean, he had better times than some guys that qualified in the other heat, but that's, again, that's how it goes. And he wasn't disappointed with how he raced. It was, you know, we would have liked to have another chance to score, but otherwise, we felt really good after day one. You look at the last three national meets, 2019 outdoor, you win a title, 2021, second place outdoor. And then right now, co-champions. How do you sustain this type of success, especially given the layoff that 
you know, the entire country had the last two or so years, I guess, for, for indoor, that is. I tell you, it was a little odd going back to JDL because that's where we were when it got canceled. And we had a men's team that year that was ranked number one, and we felt really good about that team going in. So that that was interesting, too, just, just to be back at the place where we thought we were going to win and then maybe go back with a team that we were hoping could place and win with that team. Um, you know, a lot of things have to happen. I think part of our success and sustainability is that I just have an amazing coaching staff. I really do. I, I know everybody says that, right? You know, oh gosh, give all the credit to assistance. But I always say that I make sure the bus is there and I make sure the kids are fed. And then I have all these, all these coaches that come and do it because they love it, you know, and, and, and develop kids. Um, you look at some of the kids we have there and yeah, some of them are really good kids coming out of high school, but a lot of those kids were kids that, other teams didn't really recruit and that they've developed over time. Um, so I think development is, is the key to our success is that it's a four-year process. And for some of these kids, you know, that have come back because of COVID to do a fifth year, they had that extra year to develop again. So more power to them just to, you know, stick it out and, and, and to keep developing. So, you know, I don't, I, I've gotten asked that a lot, Stu, is like, you know, what's your secret formula at UW-Eau Claire? And it's, you know, caring about the kids, um, having their best interest in mind that has nothing to do with track and field so that when they come to the track, they feel supported and they want to be at practice, not just because they know they're going to get good because it's a good time. I'm, I'm probably one of the goofiest coaches at practice. I don't talk about winning. I'm usually telling horrible jokes to kids. Uh, I'm usually goofing off why the other coaches are kind of like a little more work, work based. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that go into successful teams. And if I had a secret formula, I'd write a book and make millions and tell everybody how it is. Um, I'm not sure I have every, every answer. Uh, we, there's some luck involved too. I'll be honest. Like Marcus Weaver wasn't like a top notch kid coming out of high school and all of a sudden we get him on campus and we realize this kid is an unbelievably great athlete and can learn all these things and is dedicated. And so, you know, there's, there's not one thing it's, it's, it's hundreds of things falling in the right place and, and making sure that you're, you're doing your best every day for the kids. We got the, a chance to speak with Marcus earlier this year after his record performance. And, you know, they've dubbed Eau Claire multi U does this come from your background? You were a long jump national champ, 400 meter national champ. How did this, I mean, he broke Dylan Cooper's record from your program as well. Right. He's actually visiting. Dylan was at the meet because Dylan's training down by there. So Marcus stayed down there to see if like he can train at that facility after college and if it's something he wants to do. So the whole multi-U thing didn't actually start with me. I had an assistant coach, Gosh, it probably was 12 years ago that was our jumps coach who said, I'd like to be a multi-coach. And I think this is an area, it was back before we were a good team. Um, we were still struggling. Like I didn't take over a program that was amazing when I took it over. In fact, my first, my first conference meet, I coached a men's team that scored 26 points and we had a guy that won the shot put. So oh, in the relays, you scored points because you finished. We didn't have more than eight teams in our conference. So it wasn't like we were great to start. And he said, here's an area that a lot of teams don't have. If we put some good kids in this area, I think we can score well. 
So I said, all right, if you're willing to do it, let's do it. And he was pretty successful right away. And then he left and we've been fortunate to have a couple of people take over. And right now I'm running the multi-group, but we take a lot of, we do something that a lot of teams aren't willing to do. And we take some of our best kids and we put them in the multi who could probably score in open events. Um, and that's tough because you don't know for sure, because you got to teach them a lot of things, but we also have a big group. Like if you look at our men's group right now and our women's group, we have six multis for the men and we have six multis for the women. Most, most teams have one or two, if you're lucky. Um, George Fox might be the exception to that rule. George Fox usually has a really good contingent too. Um, but we, we're diligent about having them on their own training program. We're not just shuffling them on days to other coaches. I'm in charge of them. I go every, to every event with them. I'm down, like, I don't necessarily coach them at the vault um, or the throws, but I'm down there with them a lot of times. So, so we spend a lot of time. They have their own training program. They're with each other every day. They're the first ones in, last ones out most of the time. And we do recruit kids specifically sometimes thinking that they're going to be multis, but we also have kids. Like I had a woman after indoor, very good hurdler for me, freshman, fast. She comes in, she's like, I'd like to try to multi. Can I do that? Or are you against them? I'm like, nope. That day she was up learning how to, how to high jump first day. Okay. So, so it's become a thing with us. So now we have kids that want to try it, you know, that, and usually you have to beg a kid, you know, gosh, do you want to do 10 events? <laughs> you want to 1500 meters at the end of two days? And now we have kids that are like, yeah, I want to do that. How long did that take to get that to the student athletes to want to be joining versus you asking them to join? I would say probably about three to four years before we really were established where they knew that they were going to have success. You know, that that's the thing. Like kids want to be successful, right? You know, if you can be, I hate to say this, but you can be average at seven or 10 events if you're a man or woman and be great at the multi. Okay. It helps when you're great at a couple and average at the other, then you're really good. Right. Then we have your Marcus Weavers, your Dylan Cooper is Megan Wallace last year broke the national record for us in the multi too. So, um, you know, it went from getting these kids that could be average at everything to getting kids that then wanted to do it. They were already really good at some things and now they're not average. I mean, those, those guys that are vaulting for us right now, they were multi guys. One of them wasn't really a great vaulter in high school. He had vaulted a couple times, but now he is, he was the one that was third in the nation, you know? So you see, you know, once it's just a matter of time, like, it's reps in the multi, you know, these kids come up with zero reps and things. And it's just like, all right, are you willing to be at the gym three hours straight every day? And I always say the best kids that we get in the multi are these ADHD kids that are just hyperactive. They just need something to do. You know, they want to be at the gym. They, otherwise they're fidgeting somewhere else. The only problem with them is to keep them focused on one event for like 30 minutes at a time. That can be trouble, but otherwise they're really good. <laughs> As we take the, a, a brief transition here into the outdoor season, what are you hoping, or I guess, what are you expecting out of your crew? You mentioned in that uh, video that's on Twitter that you're hoping to do the exact same thing, but win it outright in outdoors. Is there anything to change for you all to, to win outright? I th the thing, I thought we were going to be a stronger team outdoors. There's um, our best thrower, male thrower. His best event is the discus. Um, Marcus Weaver, you know, he was, he's defending national champion in the javelin. 
Um, we got a, a guy that wasn't at indoor nationals in a distance event, but he was, you know, an all American last year in the steeple. So, and I think our four by one, you know, we returned some guys that we should be just as good in the four by one. That was an all American team last year too. So I actually thought outdoor was what I was, I was going to be waiting for outdoor to really go for a title this year. Um, but it's, you know, again, a lot of things have to happen. I think most of our multis are actually better multis outdoor because there definitely is a difference between the heptathlon and the decathlon. Um, there's definitely some guys that are better outdoor because they're better at throwing. Um, there's two more throwing events around the quarter and our guys run the quarter pretty well outdoor. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we'll have a chance if we can keep everybody healthy again, you know, that's, it's like no, everybody else, you know, you got to show up to nationals healthy feeling like everybody's in the right place. Um, things got to go your way. You, know, you got to get a little lucky. You got to hope some other team doesn't have the meat of their life, um, which happens. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty optimistic going into outdoor. You know, we started training yesterday with all the kids that didn't go to nationals to start outdoor training yesterday. And just waiting for all the snow to melt off our track. It's almost gone now. Um, we're a little further north than some schools, but um you know, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I always go into every season pretty hopeful and optimistic, though. So we'll work hard for a couple of weeks and see where we're at at the end of May. Awesome. Well, thanks, Coach, for your time. Congratulations once again, co-champions, the 2022 indoors. We'll see you outdoors. Thank you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I love what you guys do. All right. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days. I'm now joined by the head coach of WashU and co-champion Jeff Stiles. Coach Stiles, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Yeah, thanks for having me, Stu. Of course. We want to get your perspective on what was the longest 90 minutes in D3 track and field history. I had a nice bird's eye view of what was happening down on the track. But from your perspective, kind of take us through when you all finished second to then hearing that you were disqualified. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I, I heard nothing but amazing things on how you guys covered the event. So thanks for all that you guys did, you and Noah. Um, but yeah, so the event was, uh, or the meet was crazy. I mean, we, we really had the perfect meet for what we could do. Um, we go into the four by four. You know, at the end of the day one, we were looking at what everyone else can do. We're like, we can win this thing uh, because every bullet we had left in the gun to shoot was a really good one. And, um, but we really had to hit perfect. And so everything kind of went perfect throughout the day and, and the four by four going into it, you know, we, we had the top seed uh, from prelims and uh, we knew if we won, we would at worst case scenario tie for first. And uh, so obviously we're excited. Tommy Davis, our sprints coach was, Nervous, excited so much, he looked like he was going to throw up. Uh, and he just did an amazing job with these kids. But he's kind of a younger coach. So for him, he was, uh, you know, his heart rate was, I think he said on his Apple Watch, whatever, was like 150 during the 4x4. Four four. Uh, so watching the 4x4, four four, you know, we're getting done and we see the results and we're doing the math and we kind of have mixed emotions. that like, okay, we just tied. You know, if our math is right, we just tied. And that's kind of a mixed bag. We're excited and obviously tying is not the way athletics is, is normally how it ends. And so um, walking through that, we're done. We're going around telling our athletes, 
you know, great job. I mean, hey, they just had an incredible meet and were national champions. Um, but the word co seemed to take a little bit away from it for the athletes. Um, so it was, they were, you know, they were happy, but not thrilled. Um, Cause in their mind, if we had run just a few tenths faster, we would have been outright national champs. Um, but coming in, we were ranked eighth. So to go out there and almost win the four by four was, was pretty sweet. So our kids performed exceptionally well. And that was kind of the beginning point. So now we're, we're tied. And as a coach, I was super proud. You know, I, I couldn't have been prouder. And uh, I, I felt bad the athletes couldn't quite enjoy the sweet taste of victory as I'd hoped they would, uh, but also understand as competitors, they wanted to win straight out. So I appreciate that as well. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, coming into it eighth, I believe that was from the Coaches Association. You look at top eight entries, though, based on that, you all sit, I believe, outside of the top 10. You mentioned that you had all your bullets yeah. left in the, the tank there for the gun for the that final day. When Andrew Whitaker won the hurdles and Giovanni Alfred finished seventh, did that give you an idea of what's to come based on already having 10 points from the DMR? Absolutely. And when I said eighth, I was thinking the four by four I was talking about coming into the meet. I believe our four by four is the eighth seed. Um, if I'm correct, we were three seventeen, and I think we we're the eighth seed coming as a team. I think we were like 15th or 16th or I don't even know, but yeah, so we, we went in and, and, and Andrew Whitaker, you have to understand this is a special young man. I mean, he is uh, one of the greatest leaders I have ever been around and, uh, has, um, an unwavering confidence that is rare beyond compare. And so we went into the meet, believe it or not, we, the coaches thought he might win this thing just because of the type of athlete he is. Um, we had a guy win the national championship in 2012 in a similar situation who was, you know, not seated to win, but was just a gamer. And he ran 793, had never run faster than like 814 or something like that before nationals. And, and Witt was trending the very same way. So he had run uh, 810, I think, coming into nationals and then ran 802 in prelims and ran 795. And so when Tyler Jackson ran 793 in 2012, again, that was out of nowhere. But it, it really wasn't out of nowhere to us, uh, having seen Tyler do the same thing and Witt being who he is. I believe when Andrew Whitaker stepped into the blocks, he expected to win that race. And I, I just think of the national meet confidence is such a big thing. And you can be the best. It doesn't matter. If you don't believe you're the best, you're not the best. And Andrew Whitaker believed when he stepped in those blocks. And obviously, in a race that short, just a split second here, split second there, everything can make a difference. And it's a volatile event with the uh, hurdles. But Andrew is such a physical specimen. We, we really felt like he had a great shot to win it. And we knew other people did too. But I was not going to be surprised. And then really with Gio, I mean, he uh, his, his freshman year, he – qualified for nationals and then lost on the opportunity and then last year with no indoor nationals so this is really his first time around even though he qualified as a freshman and so we really batted a thousand in that race and and for wit to come out with the title it didn't leave a surprise but we're just like what a stud you know i mean this kid is unbelievable he he, he knew he was the best in, in that race on that day and that's all that mattered and and he he ran like it he acted like it and and then he got ready for the four by four he didn't, he didn't gloat in the win. He, he was there for business to take care of his next race. So uh, that definitely gave us huge momentum. We knew that our bullets were big, but we also needed to bat a thousand. And so we're like, all right, here we go. 
Yeah. You know, we, we, I mean, when we beat Aiden Ryan, we, we really, and Williams, like we really felt we had a shot. No one else did, but I really felt we did. And the most important thing is our athletes did. Jacob Ritterhoff did. And again, Aiden Ryan, absolutely incredible athlete. Um, handled himself with class before and after the race. Um, and I did not expect that, hey, we should win that race, but I knew we could. And the race played out uh, perfectly for us to win it. And Jacob believed, and that's what had to happen. And when he towed that line in that relay, he expected to win just like Andrew. So I felt like, again, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're two events in where we score, and we pretty much hit a home run, a grand slam of both. And to do that at the national championships once but twice, obviously is extremely rare. So we knew we had something special brewing. Yeah. And that DMR, it was interesting to see that Ritterhoff scratched the mile to go all in on the DMR, to give him some fresh legs to take down Aiden before the race. And just before the meet in general, was that you mentioned a little bit there that you, you guys were confident that that could happen. Was that the overall plan then to scratch him from the mile to make sure he was fresh for that DMR? That was my thought. Um, I let Jacob be in charge of that decision. So we, we'd been talking about it for most of the season. Do we want to go 3K? Do we want to go mile? Uh, we knew we would double him, and I knew he would run well in both. Um, but it was kind of about maxing points and kind of where his confidence lied and how he wanted to play it. So I really empowered him to make that decision. I, I made my pitch for the DMR 3K, and, uh, and, and if he had picked mile, mile or mile DMR, I would have been all in he was ready to go but yeah so uh in my mind uh, that dmr i felt there was so much you know I, I i didn't know what john carroll would do um on their anchor uh but i knew Aid ryan would run in my mind and i knew loris you know would run great i mean they had set the national record they broke the old national record so you had three teams that broke the national record but i had a lot of confidence in what we could do because we were in 956 by ourselves on a flat track and the lat, we've done that before. And every time we do that, we know we're ready to run well. We won in 2016. And same thing. We didn't go to a fast meet. We ran 959 by ourselves on a flat track. And we're, we're just was ready to go. So I looked at our team. And I looked at each athlete. I knew leg for leg, uh, having been at the National Championship many times, we were ready to run really well. And anything can happen at DMR. And a lot of it is timing and situation. It's easier to chase than it is to be chased. And you're not just going to get drugged to a fast time with 12 athletes on the track at one time. It just changes the game. And uh, yeah. And so we, 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 we did, we felt like, you know, we had a shot to win the DMR and any other team would think we're crazy. But if I looked at our team, Will Hauser, who was originally on it, he actually got injured um, over the weekend prior. So we had to scratch him on Monday from the national meet, but he ran 349 last year as an All-American in the 1500. Jacob Ritteroff was a runner-up in the 1500 last year on the anchor leg. Alex Coben was an All-American with seventh place in the 800 last outdoor season. So three of our guys were All-Americans last outdoor season. That's a good team, <laughs> you know? So we knew we had the pieces to contend to win. And a lot of it would be set up in timing on – where and when we got the stick, how much work are we doing? Are we able to follow those sorts of things? And, and so a lot of things fell into place, um, but the athletes believed, and that was the most important piece. What angle did you have of Jacob on the home stretch? Yeah, I, I was at the first curve. Um, then I moved over. Yeah, so I was, I was riding the first curve watching the race, and with two laps to go, I'm like, I really believe in my head, he might pull this off. Well, I think we can do this. 
And you never know. I mean, obviously, Aiden Ryan run 356. You never know. But I really felt that uh, those times were not comparable. When Jacob ran 408 on a flat track and led every single step of the race, and Aiden Ryan ran 356 at BU, I've never been to BU. But I've been told is that thing's a trampoline, and it is fast. So in my mind, I told Jacob, look, this is why you can win. Aiden Ryan ran 356 on a trampoline. That's four flat on a flat track in my mind. All right, Jacob, you led every single step of your mile. I believe, and I think it's important as a coach that you got to be a salesman sometimes, but I've never believed in selling something I didn't believe in. So when I tell my athletes something, I I don't tell them something I don't believe in. And uh, I believe that's important. So when I am telling them something, uh, they have evidence to believe that this this is gonna, this has a chance or will come true, and uh, so I don't I don't blow smoke. Yeah, and and so I'm like, look, he's probably three or four seconds faster than you, okay, but three or four seconds on a on a on a relay leg, man, that's uh, you know, depending on when and where you get the stick and who's doing the work, like that's winnable, and uh, and so when they're coming around with with. Uh, with two laps to go, I'm in my mind, I'm speaking to myself like he might pull this off with one lap to go. I start moving from, from the, you know, from the curve to the straight kind of where the, the finish line area is. And I was trying to look over so I could see. So I'm watching the home I'm watching him come in. And uh, yeah, so I was able to watch from a, a straight on angle, but I could tell by Jacob's smile that things were, were, were good. And uh, I mean, I just, I would never could have imagined, you know, Jacob coming down the home stretch, glowing, smiling in that situation. Um, but he just, I think you guys are the ones that did the interview with him. It's such a good interview. And, you know, he just talked about all the people that he was running with and for in his mind, in his heart, in his head. And, uh, and it, you know, he ran like it. And we talk about being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I mean, I think that is that race was a microcosm of that. And, uh, you know, if they're just out there running a race with no purpose, you know, just eh, let's get together on a Saturday, see what happens versus like we aimed towards this. We geared toward this. We talked about this. You know, you have other people counting on you. You know, it, it was uh, things came together. So watching that angle from the home stretch was 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 just a, a, a piece of, of, of art and was so fun. And that's something that I will remember for the rest of my coaching life, really the rest of my life. Um, that was, uh, I don't know, you can't even put into words. Yeah. For him to think about his teammates and who he's running for down the home stretch to, you know, hopefully take home a DMR title in practice or when conversations, what are you doing as coaching staff to set up a culture like that, where kids are thinking for their teammates when they have the baton in their hand with 50 meters to go? Yeah. I mean, that is the number one thing I've worked on my entire coaching career is just culture, servant leadership, selflessness. I mean, that's something I learned at North Central. So I can't just, I can't give you, you know, like we do exactly this or that, but it's in the back of my mind in every single thing we do. So we, when I see it, I acknowledge it. And, and this, the idea of just preaching over and over and over that you are a product of the people that came before you, you know, I mean, there's, this is not a, a one trick pony. This is not a one season. Um, this is the people before I came to wash you, you know, this is the people that I've been with for 21 years. So I mean, we're always trying to bring up 
people from the past. We're trying to have, uh, making sure people understand where we came from. In 1992, cross country and cross, cross country was dropped at WashU. You know, that's 10 years before I got there. You know, and then people like Troingle and Rich Schilling became coaches and took over and built it up. And I worked with people like Steve Rubin and Paul Thornton at WashU. So it's, I mean, it's just, yeah. So, I mean, it is all the time. Um, that is something I attempt to do. And just through little lessons or quotes that I hear, you know, from John Wood and, or from Al Carius or different people that reinforce things. So to me, it's, that's constant. That's like all the time, every day. Um, that's, if I can get my athletes to buy into that, not only does it produce, you know, I believe it produces great team results, but more importantly, it produces a, a better experience. And it also produces a better culture in your work environment. And you're, you're going to be a better person in the community. I just think it's like for every aspect of your life to believe that you're not the center of the universe is a really good message. And uh, I think that is something that uh, a relay team, uh, I think, really reinforces. So I'm, I'm definitely biased towards relays because I think it produces those things versus you know, if I think we can get the same points individually versus a relay, man, I'm going to shoot for a relay because I think it it embodies a team culture you want. Uh, and something I'm proud of is we've often had athletes willing to give up their individual races for the betterment of the team. And I think that's something that sends a strong message. Um, Liz Phillips, Nick Matucci, um, people that have Josh Clark that have, you know, definitely put the, the relay in front of their own individual events. Um, and I think that's something that's been modeled and it gets passed down. People see that. And the reality is experiencing a relay is, is fun. I mean, it's like, I mean, a relay is, is if you, I mean, I was on the four bite in, in my senior high school, man, that was, gosh, you get, a, you get a taste of that. And I don't know how you don't want that back. Yeah. And looking at your, your score sheet here, 18 of your 35 points comes from relay. So more than half of your points as what you just said, come from the relays as the meet progresses, you know, you guys ran early in the 60 hurdles. You already had the DMR points. Were you at all surprised that coming to the three K you were still in the thick of it and only needed X amount of points to, to have a shot at the four by four then? Normally we would have, but you know, Jill Harmon, one of our jumps coaches, and actually Lane's wife were, uh, Jill was at the meet and Lane's wife was back in St. Louis. They were like scoring it out and they're like, we don't really see a team running away with this. So, um, you know, like we, we, we were not a floor just because things had fallen the way they did on day one, um, where we're walked in and go, man, like it's possible. And, and, and there were some things that went our way on day two leading up to the 3k that fell into place for us to you know have that chance so you know was i was i surprised no was i because of the the work that the other coaches uh were were kind of doing to kind of forecast what what might be and then we're kind of following it and things were, were falling into place so you know and we were just enjoying it i mean like we didn't go into the meet we got to win this thing or we're a failure like we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to always be about the process and we're looking at what we're doing. And we're like, man, how can you not be thrilled for these kids? I mean, you know, uh, they were just, so we, we were excited and then we were more excited because we did have the opportunity, which is really special. And to give the four by four the chance 
to uh, to seal the deal um, is a really cool thing. But Jacob Ritteroff had to do his part as well. And that that three K was there was so much parody, you know, <laughs> so yeah. much parody. I mean, just insanity. But we knew that going in. But I really felt that Jacob fresh off of the I mean I consider just run the DMR there before fresh you know uh I felt like that was something that was going to be good and I felt confident that Jacob would put himself close and he'd build close and so I'm like you know I, I really felt going in like he could finish anywhere from first eight on the right day and uh and then that last the last lap he ran the fastest lap of the field I believe and you know we were right at the end we were hoping for third but man he was in like ninth or tenth with like four or 500 to go or whatever it was. So he really ran an incredible, uh, incredible 3K to, 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 to set the stage for the 3K, you know, and all the drama that, that even without the protest drama, that was, it was pretty cool. Like he set it up where if we win the four by four, we're at worst case time for national champions. So that was, uh, you just couldn't draw it up any better than that. Again, each athlete just really maxing out what they could do. Yeah, Jacob went from eighth or in the last two laps from 10th to fourth, and his last lap was 27 eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, and, and again, I think, you know, if you go back the last lap, if you're just running a, you know, a, an all comers race, he's hurting, right? I mean, everyone's hurting with 200 to go and you're in 10th place. So you just kind of ride it out, kind of put on the heart, you know, a face like you're hurting and you, you don't just feel hurts. But man, when you dig, when you dig to the next level, um, you know, that, that's when you're connected to, uh, to the team, you know? And, uh, and so it just feels better when you're done. And it's amazing when people have that team, uh, kind of what you can do and, uh, people that don't have the team score, um, when it's not going quite like they want, it's just easier to go the other way. What was your message to the four by four? I mean, did you let them know what the scenario was? Like how, how invested were they into the situation of what they needed to do to get you all a team title? Yeah, that's a great question. One, I don't coach the four by four. So too many cooks in the kitchen. I, I went over and just gave my five. I did not mention the score. I left that up to the event coaches to take care of that. Cause to me, I have certain athletes that I know I would tell and certain athletes I wouldn't. And so I'm not going to, you know, get invested in something uh, in a way that I have not done all year. And so I'm trusting my event coaches like, Hey, you guys got them here. You, you get, they had the number one seat time in prelims. You're doing something right. I'm getting out of the way. And I knew that they knew we had a shot to do something special. And I would, would have been stunned if they didn't know, but I just wanted them to know that I had their back. I was excited, you know, not, nothing but optimism, nothing about, uh, you know, performance. Um, uh, these guys are, are uh, huge competitors and also I think crit- tough critics on themselves. So they're going to do nothing but lay it on the line. Um, so I, I tried to get more out of the way and just remind our four by four coach to breathe because <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he was so nervous, excited in a great way. And he's 20, just turned 25, um, you know, on, on Saturday, actually, that was his 25th birthday. So it's a pretty good birthday present. And then the, the protest period happens. Let's circle back to that. You know, you seem to be fairly calm when you came up to the crow's nest to take a look at the replay of it, did you, in your mind, not see anything wrong and knew that hopefully it would get overturned after the 90 minutes that we had to endure during that? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately I've been through 
numerous protests in my career. In 2015, we were at JDL and they miscounted the laps of our 5K and our girl Lucy Cheadle won, uh, but they miscounted and rang the bell a lap early. So I went through a super long protest there. Um, so this, it's kind of like just bad dream, bad, you know, going back through it. Like, are, do we make it all the way through? And then right at the end, we have to relive this thing. So, I mean, it doesn't pay to get upset. You got to be of sound mind to do a good job. And, and I recognize the officials are doing the best they can. And, uh, and if you're going up accusing, yelling, screaming, it just, it's going to be, I think, against, against you. Um, so looking at it with what they told us we were accused of, I'm like, and with the way the rule is written, I'm like, I don't, I'm not seeing what they're telling me. And Lane Lore, who's my longtime assistant, who's an amazing speed power coach and knows the rule book really well. And again, we've done this and he's kind of the brains of the protest period. And we're working through this together. And I knew we could win. I'm like, this is this is overturnable. And I also know it's hard to overturn things. It, you, it's been ruled on and it's uh, it takes humility to overturn something. So, yeah, we're looking at it, talking to Tom Hott, who I've, uh, who's the referee, and he's talking us through it. And, and so I'm leaving there going, okay, they could totally overturn this. Uh, but I also was, I was, I was praying in my, my heart and it's like, all right, Lord, if this is uh, <laughs> not going to be overturned, I need to be strong for these young men because we have an 11 hour bus ride home. And that is going to be one horrible bus ride home if this is not overturned, if I lose it. I need to be strong. And so I kind of got to the place where I, I, I was prepared for it not to go the way I was hoping. Uh, I was praying that the truth would come out and they would make the right decision. And uh, I believed that with what the rule that gave us and the way the rule book read, I believed that um, that was uh, a bad call, but I knew that uh, I'd be prepared for either way. And so I was dreading one verdict, and, but kind of prepared for it. And so when they gave us the verdict and they, they, they're coming over and Lane asked them, what's the verdict? And they're like, well, you can have your $50 back. I know what that means, but I was very quick to like <laughs> wanting to see the sheet. And it said, you know, decision reversed, wash you reinstated. And uh, it was two years to the day. March 12th that we got sent home with the men's team. I thought could win. We were ranked fourth going in. We'd never been ranked that high in our entire career. I remember leaving that meet thinking we may never have a men's team that good again in position to win a national title. And uh, that was a hard pill to swallow. And so two years to the day, we stayed at the same hotel. We're doing all the same stuff and to have it reversed. I mean, it was, you know, we lost two years of athletic, experiences that was two years of emotions in two hours you know and uh that was i mean it made i just i can't even put it into words and I, I just lost it and that was uh something i'll never forget yeah the the ups and downs of winning outright being then tied then out of the trophy contention back to our running ultimately 
co-champions before Rowan was reinstated. You circled your entire team up, both men and the women. I was trying to listen in to what you were saying. Couldn't hear much from up above, but can you give any insight as, as to what you were telling your whole program? I mean, I have no idea what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying. They probably didn't understand a word, but I mean, I was so proud of them. And, um, you know, I, I honestly could not recount what I said. I just know that was something that, man, we are never going to forget this experience. And uh, that was a hard two years. And I know I read a text. It was from Jonathan Koch, who was a longtime, uh, part-time assistant with me, who's now teaching at Caltech. And he wrote just an amazing text. And I read that to them. And it was ultimately, he had counted the number of days it had been. And he talked about uh, JDL being redeemed and, uh, you know, it was full circle. And uh, it was, you can talk about team. You can talk about all sorts of things. You can read about philosophy. You can talk about philosophies. You can see all the philosophies you have, but you see the philosophies that are actually real um, play out on a team and about being a team. And uh, team is a feeling. That's something I learned from Al Carius, the greatest coach to ever walk planet Earth. And we experienced what it meant to be a team. You know, we, 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 we tied, we won, we lost, we won, we tied. And in that, you know, we had to stick together and support one another. And over the last two years, it was the same thing. Regardless of the outcome, we had done what we had done. You know, no one can take we, what we did. Obviously, the score can change, but we are bonded for life through pursuing uh, winning together as a team. And uh, we win together, we lose together, we win graciously, we lose graciously. And JDL, JDL had been redeemed, and I am so thankful for the decision. I was ready for both, but man, I am so grateful for the decision they made. And I was grateful they reinstated Rowan. You know, like, as great as it felt, I went out right. Like, and once they reinstated Rowan, um, I'm like, you know what? That was the right thing. That was, a, I was praying, Lord, make it right. Not give me what I want, but make it right. And I've watched the video. There, there, I have no idea why Rowan was disqualified. I'm sure there's some reason someone had that was well-intended. I was very thankful they reinstated Rowan. And I can tell you what, from time the first time to time the second time, Tying never felt so sweet. And a lot of that is great context in life. You know, we tied and we're disappointed. The next time we tie, we're grateful. And I think in life, a lot of times our, we, we look at circumstances and, and we complain and then circumstances change and we can be grateful when you have something taken away. And so I'm hoping my team can learn like, hey, you know, the idea of living with a grateful heart versus just complaining. I can tell you there was no complaining about tying the second time around. We were, they were just so thankful and so happy for, for Rowan as well. We knew what it felt like to be on that other side. Yeah. After all of that, getting all the team, I mean, it was implicating like five teams, team wise program. So to see everyone get back to it and what you said, I think is a, a great place to leave off that everyone, you know, is thankful that everyone's able to get what they deserved and the results 
are what they were as the race finished, but your first ever men's team title, the women have won in the past. Congratulations. And, and thank you for taking some time to give us some insight as to what the weekend was for you. Uh, my joy, my pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity. All right. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days. We're now joined by Coach Matt Jones of Loris. Loris women have just won their third straight NCAA title because of the COVID cancellations, but third straight nonetheless. Coach Jones, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Thank you for having me, Stu. Appreciate the coverage. Yeah, we spoke with you before the meet. And you wanted to ride momentum throughout the meet to kind of carry you, your team to a victory. And you, and you surely did that off the bat. Cassie Parker and the DMR team gets second place. Well, she wins the 5K and then gets second. But someone I want to I talk about here and get your thoughts on her is Alyssa Fadenauer. She split a 209-800 in that DMR. Obviously, Cassie's coming off of the 5K but she doesn't really get that opportunity if Alyssa doesn't split that 209. Was that in her wheelhouse? I know her PR is in the 215 range, but did you yeah. expect the 209 out of her? You know, it, it's interesting. Yes, actually, I, I did. Um, and the reason that is the case is, um, so it's only her second 800 um, that she's run. Uh, she ran 215 by herself, I think, back at the end of January. Um, she led gun to tape, um, looked very, very comfortable doing it. Um, her splits were very even to run 215. Um, and she got done. And uh, as soon as she crossed the finish line, she came over to me. She goes, that was pretty easy. I, I felt like I had a lot left. And I'm like, yeah, you looked like you're out for a Sunday stroll. So, um, and then her workouts have progressed since then. Um, and, and she's very tough. And, and I keep a, a mental record of some of the things that we've done in years past, some of our top athletes and what they've done. And, and she's been just destroying a lot of those marks in, in practices. Um, so I did actually throw the mark out to both uh, coach Schultz and coach uh, Edelfinger. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if she's on the chase, if she goes sub 210 in the DMR to see it happen was uh, a totally different story. Uh, we we kind of ran the numbers just off of what we thought Ellie Osterberger could do for us on the 1200 leg, what we'd get out of Maryland in the, in the 400 and then took, you know, the Oshkosh's the lacrosse and the, the Wartburg teams that ran at the Wartburg last chance and where that might put us going into the 1600. We felt like we had a pretty good chance of being in the mix. Um, and, and to see it actually unfold that way was amazing. The part that we didn't know is how Cassie would handle the, the, the double back after about a 75 minute uh, rest period and going to the well, um, Ari really pushed her um, in that 5k she had to work. And that was certainly not in our game plan when we were running this together. Um, but yeah, that was certainly um, a huge, huge momentum builder going into the, the evening hours and, and getting us rolling into day two. So that was really big for our program. Yeah, the conversation with Colt Schultz and Edelfinger about having Cassie run that DMR, what was being weighed there on the decision to have her, you know, do the 5K DMR? Because that is a pretty gnarly double for a distance runner. You know, we did our best to, to check history. Um, Ethan comes from North Central. Um, he's a huge running nerd for lack of a better term he checks history checks data um to see you know who who's done this in the past um either on the men's or women's side um i've been able to double back and what those have looked like there's it was split it was 50 50 i guess kind of really on the, the the people have been able to handle it the ones that haven't there were a couple in there that it looks like their team was out the back already and maybe they were shut down 
by their coaches during the middle of the 1600 legs. So we kind of thought that might've been an option for us too, but it was mostly, you know, how is she going to suffer going into day two in the 3k? What's that going to take out of her legs? Um, we knew Ari would have a race on her legs. We know Fiona Smith would have a, a race on her legs. We knew Ella Varon would have a race on her legs. So really no one was going to be fresh going into the 3k at that point anyways. Um, but we also knew everybody was going to be entered too. So that was the balance is, you know, can we gain enough in the DMR for anything that we should lose in the 3k? Um, because we knew, you know, going into the four, the two, the three, and the four by four, we felt pretty good about where we could close out the meet. And so taking that, that, you know, six, eight, 10 points in the three K could have been big to kind of close the door. Yeah. You mentioned right there, you headed into day two with a first place in the five K second place in the DMR three points in the HEP. Mm -hmm. Did you feel pretty confident with what you had qualified as well, given your point total heading into day two? Yeah, we felt pretty good. You know, the field event side of things is just so unpredictable. So, you know, Grace had been jumping pretty well all year. She hadn't been triple jumping a lot. Um, we knew that she thought, uh, we thought she could put a big mark out there. Where that was going to fall, we don't know. Um, obviously, Isabel Malatich had been outstanding all year um, and, and seeing her fall out was kind of a surprise. And then, you know, the same thing that happened to Marion outdoors last year happened again indoors. She was not supposed to score in the 60. Uh, she made the 60 final. She was seated to score in the 200, did not make the 200 final. Um, we knew Elena Ball was going to have her hands full trying to make the 60-meter hurdles. That's one of the strongest hurdle fields I've seen in a long time in women's D3. And then with Alyssa in the four, Cassie in the, um, in the 3K, and then the four by four, you know, that was probably the most nerve wracking thing for me on day one is I felt good about running the four by four without Alyssa. It got nerve wracking going into heat three though. It, it certainly did. But yeah, I, I felt, you know, we could be in that 18 to maybe 24 point range at the end of day one. And if we didn't qualify the majority of our events that we were going to make it very tough on the teams around us, uh, regardless of how they were doing to be able to come out on top on Saturday. What's the message to that four by four that doesn't have Alyssa on it? You had three of the women run the final in that prelim, but not having a, a 55 leg you yeah. know, seems a little stressful. Is there a certain message you tell them or just it's the same old message no matter who's in there? You know, truthfully, it was just trying to get them to believe that um, it's not a one woman show. You know, those those other really even Harmony, Harmony, when she ran. Uh, at last chance, she went 57.9 on the relay as a freshman, um, and that was a big jump for her. And, um, you know, making sure she knew I had confidence in her, too. But the message was very clear. You know, we had run 348 twice this year, um, pretty much all by ourselves, once at Warburg, once at, um, I'm sorry, once at Conference, and once at um, Whitewater. And Alyssa got the stick in first place, and we were clear of the field by quite a long ways already. So the, the women in front had already done their work. Um, and been out in front of some very good teams already. They just had to do what they've been doing all season. Um, and that extra body in there would be just fine. And, and we'd survive in advance. That was the message. I didn't care if we were first. Um, it didn't matter if we were eighth. We just had to make the final. How big of an advantage do you think you all have going up against the Nebraska Wesleyans, the Warburgs at your conference meet, you know, only just two weeks prior to this meet? It's important. Um, it's very important. And, and I talked to Coach McKenzie quite a bit from Nebraska Wesley, and I speak to him often about how, 
you know, the, the rise of University of Dubuque, Warburg's been a household name for a long time. And the addition of, um, you know, Wesleyan into our conference has really made um, our conference very, very strong. I think it helps. I think it gives them confidence to know that when they're tired at the end of a conference championship, they've grinded for two days that they can go run 348 on fatigue legs. So I think it's a, it's a very important factor for our team. And there's talented individuals all over the, the conference. You know, you look at um, Bella Hogue was the national champion in the 200. Jackie Ganshard, uh, I think, finished fourth in the 400. You know, there's there's just talent up and down the board on, on, on both the men's and women's rosters on, in our conference. You're throwing names out both from distance and sprints. How much yeah. are you following along with the sport to kind of know who you're going up against at the national meet? I'm I'm kind of a much like Ethan. I'm I'm a track nerd through and through. I, I, I feel like I know kids from other schools very well. Maybe not the uniforms um, as much when there's you know, maybe a, a team that we haven't necessarily seen and or heard much of before. Um, and, you know, when they're 800 miles away, we don't see them often. But, you know, I, I have a pretty good idea of a lot of the teams and events. Um, I'm just a, a track nerd. I like, I like the sport, all levels. Yeah, as the meet progresses and you get some points out of Marion in the 60 when you weren't expecting it, Things started to get a little tight there with lacrosse before that 3K. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you had Cassie, but she's on tired legs, were you kind of doing the math of like how many points is needed since you all both had a four by four coming up? I was trying to do what I say to our kids, not to get distracted and caught up in the moment. So I was doing my best not to. Um, I had a pretty good idea of where we were sitting with certain things. I had a pretty good idea um, kind of where we're, we were at. You know, again, being a being kind of a stats guy, um, knowing who was in the four by four final, I knew who lacrosse was going to have their hands full with um, outside of our own program. You know, Nebraska Wesleyan had run three fifty a couple different times. Um, Wash U hadn't really been running as a quote unquote a team all year, but then did in the prelims and, and ran a, a fast time in the prelims. SUNY Geneseo has been a very good four by four team for a couple of years. Um, I thought that was our biggest competition. Uh, we'd seen Wartburg run 351. Um, I knew they they were not in, in the final, so that wasn't going to be another team that could mix it up with lacrosse. But, you know, I felt pretty strong. If we were at a tie going into the 4 by 4 that I felt very good about where we would end up. So anything, you know, any deficit, you know, always makes you nervous because you can only control yourselves, and that's it. But I felt if it came down to that last event and it was, you know, if, if we win, we win. If we get beat, then we lose the meet. I felt good about our chances with our, our women's four by four team. Take us through what you do during meet day. Every time I look down to that, you know, the first curve is you seem like you were kind of stationed there with the other coaches. Are you just there the entire day and letting your student athletes do what they need to do and, and not intervene? Or what are you doing throughout the day? I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's nervous energy or what, um, but I, I seem to, to float around. Um, I asked certain kids, you know, where, where would you like to hear my voice? Where do you think you need me at um, on the track? Um, I, I'm not real big into splits. I am earlier in the year, um, you know, just kind of giving out 200 splits to our quarter milers, our 800 kids that I coach. Um, I'll give them splits and things like that. But, you know, I, I don't really do much with them on meet day in terms of coaching, in my personal opinion, and, and this is kind of how I operate uh, on a week-to-week basis, um, I like to say I coach less as the week goes on. Um, I give a lot of instruction earlier in the week, so it's fresh in their mind. We can work on some of the things throughout the course of the week. And then the closer we get to meet day, the more reactionary I want it to become, uh, less um, robotic and, and kind of a, a, 
battle with the brain and what coach has been saying on Thursday and Friday, when the gun goes off, I want them to race. And so I, I treat meet day the same way, you know, I'll go through and let them kind of go through their pre-meet routines or pre-race routines. Um, I normally stop and give them, you know, a couple of words of advice. Um, you know, maybe it's just a quick pick me up on, you know, I have faith, you know, that you're ready for this moment. No moment's too big for you. You've been doing this all year kind of thing. So just trying to give, give positive energy throughout the course of the day and, and keep them in a, um, you know, like I said, a, a positive mindset and feel good about themselves and, and let them know that we believe in them as a team and as a staff and, and myself individually, that they can accomplish some things that they might not think they can. It was all wrapped up heading into the 4 i 4 You had a 10-point lead. We said that you had to either drop the baton and lacrosse had to win for you all to be co-champions. You didn't really take it as a victory lap, more of a statement win, fourth fastest 4 by 4 ever indoor, or I guess fourth fastest program to run a 4 by 4 indoors. What was the message to them heading into that? Was that a goal to see how fast you can run? Obviously, you always want to run fast, but yeah. was there something in particular that you mentioned to them? You know, a few things with that. One, it's funny you said victory lap because it was, when I listened to the, the playback, that's kind of how I, I phrased it to them. It's like, this could be a, a victory lap or we can, you know, go see what we're capable of. Because we knew lacrosse was in heat one. And obviously, if they didn't win their heat, um, it, it was pretty much so wrapped up, even if we were to get, get DQ'd. Um, so seeing them kind of, you know, finish their race and Suni Geneseo put down a, a 347 time, um, kind of put that all the rest. You saw a little bit of a sense of relief in their faces when they were getting ready to run their race too. But I think they felt the same way that, that I felt. We had talked a lot about it this year. Um, you know, we've won uh, two straight national championships in the four by one. Uh, we've been the national runners up in the four by four indoors and outdoors. Um, but we've never won uh, a four by four national championship and that I believed in them. Um, I believe that we are the best four by four team out there. Um, that's no disrespect to any of our uh, opponents. I think Sunny Geneseo ran a fantastic race and looking forward to a head-to-head -head competition on an outdoor track. Um, but, you know, if you put our best relay splits together, and I shared this with them, um, it came out to about 345-2. So I knew we could go pretty fast if, if we all showed up together um, and they wanted it as badly as coach did and probably more. Um, and they went out and earned it, ran very, very well. You mentioned earlier that you coached the 800 crew and this is kind of going into your men's program too. You're the only program to come away with, with both trophies, men, mm -hmm. fourth, first time ever coming away with a, a trophy. You mentioned pre-meet interview that you all seemed pretty prepared in 2020 to get ready for that. Was this a redemption for the men to come in and, and walk away with the trophy? Yeah, I think a little bit um, because there's some familiar faces. There's some the, the Ryan Harveys of the world. Ryan wasn't here. Uh, Ryan was actually a very above average high school prep, and we did not know he'd be a 407 indoor miler in year two. You know, so, yeah, there was a little bit of that. Um, I think there's a very strong chemistry between uh, that middle distance group, and I think they had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder just in terms of, okay, we're – I don't know that we're necessarily the Aiden Ryans of the world, but we're pretty talented here at Loris too. So yeah, I think there was a little bit of uh, that, that mantra we've kind of talked about the last couple of years of, of unfinished business. It wasn't their ultimate goal. Um, obviously, you know, you, you're never going to tell your kids, you don't want them to try and, and, and go for a championship and, and win. Um, but we did, did, we did well. I didn't think it was going to play out the way it did in terms of having like eight to 10 teams in the mix all the way down to the very last event um, and hats off to Wash U and Eau Claire. Um, th those two teams, man, did they show up? They had weekends. Um, I don't know if either one of them were factored into the top eight in scoring 
Um, I think Wash U was only seeded to like score eight points and uh, they scored that in the DMR alone and then had their two hurdlers in the four by four. They were, they were on it all weekend. And, um, you know, Styles done a great job down there. Uh, I've got great respect for, for Coach Snyder up at Eau Claire and what they do. Those kids always show up in game um, at the national championships. And that conference is tough. You know, they're prepared two weeks out at the YX too. That, that, that conference is a totally different animal. Someone I want to talk about is Mike Jasa. He ran 149.45 throughout this season. Probably not the 800 he was hoping for finishing fourth, but he does come back for you all and, and on that four by four. And he stayed on the track there for a little bit after that 800. Is there anything you tell an athlete when they still an All-American, but maybe coming short of their goals to, you know, hey, we got another event up next for you in the four by four? You know, Mike, Mike's had a bad race. Um, you know, everybody has him. He just needed his moment. He had it as he was getting ready to start his warm up again for the four by four. Um, I kind of did what you just said. And I said, hey, you know, this could boil down to the four by four. Um, and, and you're our guy in the anchor leg and your teammates know what you have in you. And I don't know if there's another person in the country I'd rather have on the anchor leg. And that's, not, again, no disrespect to some of our opponents. Just I, Mike is Mike is just tough and he's very competitive. Um, and I knew he would bounce back very well. So, yeah, I think he, he turned the page very well um, and showed up on that anchor leg like I, I assumed he would and, and gave us a, a good carry to close out the weekend. Biggest thing for him was he was he was more so concerned about, well, I, I just I, I messed this up. You know, can we can we still win this? Can we still trophy? And I it, it, at that time, it was so close to the end. I'm like, Mike, I literally can't answer that for you right now. You know, I'm looking at the live feed and there's. 10 teams within five points and it's like what is going on this is not yeah when it came down to the four or four you kind of calculating out like what you needed are you telling your team hey if we finish x or you just letting them go run and whatever happens happens um you know a little bit of both um i, I you know you never know what's what's going to happen when they get there you know on paper you look at rowan rowan had had dropped a time earlier this year that I don't know if anyone else was going to be able to match. Um, you start looking at some of the, the other teams out there. Um, I knew Wash U had a very good cohort um, of guys in there. Um, Oshkosh has some good, some good quarter milers in there as well. And again, that's you don't make the NCAA final uh, without having good teams. And uh, we actually got a little bit of help um, and not the kind of help you want. I think there was a Mount Union quarter miler that got injured in there. Uh, one of the Concordia kids got hurt as well. Both of those two teams we're, we're running really well this year. So it was a little bit up in the air, but I, it was simple. You know, did I think we could win it? Sure. Anybody can, and you're in the race, you have a chance to win it. And, and I said, you know, the easiest way to go about this is, you know, you go take first place and, and we come up short of winning a national championship by one point, we did everything we could possibly do to try and close out this weekend to win it. And they, and they ran well, you know, I think that it wasn't our best effort of the season, but I think with the, the stage, being what it was at, they responded very well to a high pressure situation. And, and we ran a good relay in the midst of a, a, a national championship fight with four other teams, you know, five of the eight teams were in the mix. So everybody wanted it just as bad. And they were fighting for it. That's why I think you saw some of the pushing and shoving in the DQs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Great transition for the DQ protest period. At best, you all were at one point second. 
you, yeah. I don't think you ever left the trophy consideration like no. Tunisian or CEO did. So you're kind of waiting to see where you're going to fall, what trophy that you're going to pick up. Are you, I mean, you're probably in the best seat possible knowing that you're going to have a trophy. It's just trying to figure out which one, what were you doing during that time? Cause I think the, the women's trophy ceremony happened, but the men still wasn't even resolved at that point. You know, we joked before we went on air that we went through this last year outdoors. Um, and, and I feel for WashU, I feel for Eau Claire um, because it was the crowd had kind of left, not not degrading the national championship for our team outdoors last year. Um, but I think it was a little anticlimactic uh, waiting all that time to be able to celebrate officially with your team. And you heard a few different eruptions go off in the building while some of those things were coming on the, the video board. And then the oops, we were not supposed to show the replay of the four by four uh, on the video board either. So it was kind of a crazy scene, to be honest with you. I, I stayed pretty low key. Um, you know, it was going to be whatever it was going to be. I, I, we weren't involved with any of it. Um, I wasn't throwing our name in there. I did joke at one point when we got all the way up to second place. It's like, all right, how do we get Eau Claire disqualified to win this thing? Totally, totally kidding. Would never, never go that route. But, you know, just trying to, to do our best to um, enjoy it for our women, but at the same time, allow our men the opportunity to have um, that moment as well. Uh, it was pretty special for our team to do that in the same weekend. And the other thing, all, completely off the record, we had dinner reservations that we didn't want to be late to. So kind of looking at the clock too, to, to get these guys going out of the facility and, and get on with our evening as well. So it was wild. It was really wild. Um, but like I said, I, I'm, I'm glad that it got resolved um, and that, um, you know, Wash U and, and Eau Claire got to have that moment together, um, sat through the whole period and ended up being worth it. I don't know everything that was going on with the protests, what the rulings were and all that jazz. I didn't get too, too caught up in it. Um, I looked at the board at one point to see what they were about. But I'm, I'm truthfully, I, I didn't want our women to win the outdoor four by four last year when SUNY Geneseo at one point was disqualified. Um, and I didn't want to have some things factor into, you know, us gaining on, on, on others rulings. Um, and I'm glad that Rowan's men got the opportunity to be national championships because or national champions, because they earned that they ran great. And again, you know, Claire and, and Wash U earned those national championships to share. It was, was pretty cool for them too. And to wrap it up and this might preview stuff to come, but if you can somehow summarize the rise of Loris track and field, just the program as a whole, yeah. What would you be able to summarize, you know, this sudden success, not sudden success, because we've had all Americans in the past, but to be now three Pete on the women, get a trophy for the men. How would you be able to summarize that? It's really difficult um, because I don't know where it begins. Uh, you know, I, I remember in 2019 after we won uh, messaging a group of about three or four classes leading up to probably about the 2015 to 2018 era, when we started to make some progress, we just weren't necessarily making on the national stage. Uh, I just mean, uh, and it's small things, you know, having women show up on our all-time top 10 lists, um, that changing and seeing those years become a little bit more recent as opposed to the early 2000s um, and, and how that kind of springboarded some of the recruitment of the Gabby Nolans, the Tiriana Blacks, the Lexi Alts, the Bella Solaces of the world. Um, obviously, the ascension of Cassie at the Division Three level was tremendous. Very, very happy and pleased that she decided to leave the University of Iowa and join us at the after one semester. Um, and, and really, once once we started recruiting better kids, and and I, I use that loosely because I don't want to feel as if we're we're elitist because we're certainly not. Um, but just having an opportunity to be on the phone and have kids visit your campus that were not taking the time to do so 
when we were just a very average program helped um, the ascension of our program. And I know Marion talked a lot about it. Um, I've heard you mention it too, even on the live feedback. It's the culture. These kids love to work and, and they take pride in doing the work, people recognizing their work um, and enjoy getting better and, and almost look forward to the competition and the stress that comes with you know, con competing for national championships. And one thing I'm going to point out that is, uh, you know, evident that it's not just me, it's not internally that it's being seen. Uh, there was a tweet that was put out yesterday by Shane Legal, who's a three-time All-American wrestler here at Loris, that said uh, something about, uh, he tagged at Loris track and said that men's and women's team return a day after from, from two trophies. Um, and on Monday, they're outside preparing for the outdoor track and field season. You know, is that a coincidence? And then he says, thank you for the inspiration. And that's coming from a three-time All-American that's had a very successful wrestling program here. Um, so it, it's seen. And, and, and they work their butts off and they earn uh, all of this success, all of these accolades. And they feed off of each other. And I think Friday night's race in the DMR was in my opinion, one of the most um, entertaining races of the evening uh, with how that all shook out. Um, DMR is kind of crazy to begin with. But I think for us as a program, seeing Ellie and Merrill and Alyssa and Cassie, people that don't run races together or train together, come together and put a performance together like that springboards us into the weekend. And, and it's just a, a great highlight for our program in, in where we were five years ago and, and where we have um, come to now to see those four kids step onto the track and do something like that was pretty special. And so it's been a lot of fun. And for me personally, doing it at your alma mater is pretty special as well. Um, you know, I, I can't say that it, it motivates me any more, any less, but I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm certainly partial to this place. Um, and, and I think it, it, it does fuel me a little bit more um, to know that I wore the same uniform um, that some of these kids wore um, a long time ago. But, you know, I, I, I did wear this uh, back in the day. I've been through some of this stuff. You know, I've run in the facilities that we've had. We have a different weight room. So that's certainly an upgrade from when I was in college. But, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. Well, thanks, Coach Jones, for taking the time. I'm sure we'll uncover more of that story as it is unique to D3 history to have another non-WIAC school have a three-peat. So we'll definitely start working on that. But thank you for your time and congratulations once again. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the outdoor season. All right, that does it for D3 Glory Days on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. Thanks to Chip Schneider, Jeff Stiles, and Matt Jones for taking the time to talk about their championship weekend. Again, if you like what we're doing, follow us on social media. Consider donating to help support us and our writers. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, here's to the glory days. Mm -hmm.